this morning. I'm going to begin reading today in John chapter 8 in verse number 1. And I'm going, to, I'm going to ask all of us to read corporately all 11 verses together this morning. John 8, Gospel of John chapter 8, verse 1 down to verse number 11. <clears throat> Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Father, Lord, as we come together now for the reading of your word, as we come together for the preaching of your word, may you empower us, Lord, and help us. Help me, God, to preach your truth. Help me to preach it, Lord, in a way that honors your name, but draws every heart to our Savior. Help me, Father, to deal with sin in such a way that it brings us all to the cross. And Lord, understanding that Jesus took our cross, uh, uh, took our sins upon the cross of Calvary. And Lord, he paid for them there. And help us, Lord, to understand our connection and relationship with one another. And have us, give us a heart that with a desire to reach others with the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, help me, Father, to preach your truth, your word, to say nothing, Lord, that is contrary to you, or say nothing, Father, with a spirit, Lord, that you would not be pleased with. I pray that you would help and guide and direct in the way that only you can. In the name of Jesus we ask, amen. Some time ago, I saw a Facebook post that at the time I was not able to get out of my head and I wrote it down. Uh, to remember. It stuck with me because it's filled with so much truth. And I'm not certain that it was written by a believer, but I am certain that there's wisdom in what was wrote. It reads, if you're going to call women who get abortions murderers, then you better not talk down on women who choose to continue their pregnancy. 
When you see the pregnant girl walking into the high school, you better not comment on how she's a teen mom because she chose life. When you see the mom with a cart full of kids in Walmart, don't make a comment on how they all have different fathers. By the way, that happened to us multiple times. She chose life. By the way, all five kids are ours. Amen. When you see the young couple expecting their first, don't point out how they aren't married. She chose life. When you see the mom using her WIC card and food stamps in the checkout line, don't complain that she's using your tax money. She chose life. When you see the 16-year-old mom at the park with her daughter, don't ask if they're sisters. Then tell her that her life is ruined. That 16-year-old mom chose life. When you see the woman walking, working the drive through at your favorite fast food restaurant to support her son, don't tell her she should have gone to college. At 18, she chose life. When you congratulate the working, stable, married couple at church expecting a baby, and they say they're putting him up for adoption, don't say you're disappointed. She chose life. If you're going to be pro-life, and I'm quoting here somewhat, you sure as blank better keep that same energy when they make that choice. Maybe if we treated moms of every race, religion, age, and marital status with respect and kindness, abortion rates would go down. It takes a village, we all say. But society's village is extremely unwelcoming of non-traditional mothers. Too many times, too many Christians... And too many churches exercise poor judgment by speaking harsh, hateful words rather than words that produce life. As we open our Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 8, we discover in these 11 verses just what happens when Jesus speaks. After a night on the Mount of Olives... Jesus returned early in the morning to the temple where he was approached by all the people present. And as they sat there peacefully, each man wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. So Jesus sat down with them and began to teach as he had many times before in that setting. And suddenly... There was a chaotic interruption. Several men, easily recognized as scribes and Pharisees, men whom would be called devout religious men, were dragging a very inadequately dressed woman to where Jesus was. And when we picture this scene, we picture a woman doing her best to stand before Christ while surrounded by her accusers. 
in humiliating fashion, head hanging in disgrace, and eyes, no doubt, turned red from weeping. And with an extremely harsh and condescending tone, these men began to publicly shame this woman by declaring before everyone her sin as they spoke to Jesus. We see their words in verse number 4. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. So with their crooked, bony fingers pointed directly at the accused, they enter as a witness of their self-declared trial. They hold up the Word of God. Verse number 5, they say, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. And they were partially right. Because like many people, they take a portion of Scripture to fit their narrative. But not the whole thing. Because Leviticus chapter 20 and verse number 10, of which they were quoting, says, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. I say that they partially got it right because if they did indeed catch this woman in the very act, where was the man? The scriptures don't reveal to us the true answer. But as I was thinking about this passage, one of three conclusions can be surmised. And the first is, maybe he escaped. Maybe when he heard people coming into the room, he jumped out and jumped out the window and ran without being caught. Maybe that's a possibility. It's possible that he was caught and was released. Perhaps he was known by one of the scribes and Pharisees who, when they saw him, chose to look the other way. Because we do like to pick and choose who we want to convict, don't we? We'll, if it's our child, it's not so bad. But if it's your child... The gossip begins. If it's, if it's another individual in the church, that's one thing. They shouldn't do that. They shouldn't behave that way. But if it happened in my family, it's just a simple mistake. We're often guilty 
of choosing who we want to convict and who we want to look the other way. It's possible, it's very possible, that he was there all along. As an accuser rather than as the accused. Because as we later learn from this text, far too often we're willing to cast stones at others when we ourselves are just as guilty. Amen. We get on our high and mighty horse. And we talk about how great we are. How strong our faith is. When hidden, there's sin in our heart. Paul told Timothy, there are some whose sins no one will ever know. There are some whose sins are known publicly. But don't think God is ever going to be mocked. Either way, we can certainly deduce from this situation that there is a very low estimation of womanhood. Because, let me say this, I am certain that God has distinguished roles for both men and women. But I am just as certain that there's no doubt that women are looked at more harshly as men in society. And in light of the recent Roe versus Wade, and this message, believe it or not, is not about that. But I'm trying to set something up and that we all understand. I'll always choose to be pro-life because of my spiritual, biblical, and moral convictions. But I find that it's very sad that women are the only ones thrust into the center of the issue and too often slandered in the public view while the male seems to get a free pass. I did something one time that I'll admit to you because I'm not perfect. But I was standing in the Dollar General one time and I was standing in line with a gentleman who was knew the cashier and they were talking about a relationship that they, they both, that this girlfriend that he had, she knew that girlfriend, and uh, they found out that she was pregnant, and he was going on and on and on about how he wanted her to get an abortion. I finally had enough, and I said, you know, sir, I don't believe in abortion, but if I did, I wish your mama had aborted you. Forgive me, but I'd had enough. He can just boss her and tell her what he thinks she had to do and then move on with his life when she would have to live with that forever. The scribes were professionals when it came to interpreting the scriptures. They knew exactly what Moses said. They were noted for their strict adherence to the Mosaic law. So the scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus 
with a Bible in one hand and a stone in the other. Ready to pass judgment on this sinful woman. But before they proceed, they ask at the conclusion of verse number 5, But what sayest thou? Why did these men who were known public enemies of Jesus want to know what he thought? After all, Jesus actually carried the law, according to Moses, a bit further. I give you an example in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 27 and 28, where Jesus taught, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And maybe they weren't caught physically, but privately they were just as guilty. Both the law and Christ himself sought to protect the sanctity of marriage. But the scribes and Pharisees were not there out of a passion for righteousness, seeking to purge Jerusalem from its moral evils. No, the Bible says in verse 6, This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. They simply wanted to get Jesus in a situation. They acted out of malice, seeking to put Jesus between the proverbial rock and a hard place. Because if he consented to the law, the multitude would feel that he no longer sympathized with the publicans and sinners. And if he took issue with the scribes and Pharisees, then they would assail him as a lawbreaker and a defamer of the Mosaic Covenant. In their minds, the fate of the woman was sealed. This was not a matter of opinion. The case was opened and it would be shut just as quickly. She would become a necessary casualty in an effort to find fault with Jesus. Their stones had already been chosen. They were in hand and ready to be thrown at their decided target. There was no room for grace and mercy. The law was clear. Sin must be paid for and the wages of sin was death. And as they asked in verse number 7, the, the Bible says that Jesus stooped down and began to write something with his finger in the dust of the ground. And we don't know what he wrote, nor do we know if it was visible to anyone else who were present. But we see in the remaining few verses that Jesus spoke. And when Jesus speaks, it gets our attention. And the first point that I want to make is when Jesus speaks, we hear the heart of God. In verse number 8, the Bible says that they continued asking, What sayest thou? Speak up. We want to know where you stand. What is your opinion? So he stood up and he offered a response that no one had considered. Let's read verse 8 together again. Or at the end of verse 7, I apologize. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first 
cast a stone at her. Suddenly the jeers, suddenly the mockings, suddenly the hatred was met with silence. You know, in chapter 7, in verse number 31, you're right there, so you might as well turn back one page. It was becoming known that many people were choosing to believe on Jesus because the Bible says in verse 31 and 32 of chapter 7, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. And half after hearing him teach with their own ears, the officers refused to lay hands on him. Look down at verse 45 and 46. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Now the scribes and Pharisees hear it for themselves. And with a rock held firmly in their hand, they hear the authority and conviction in his words. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Secondly, when Jesus speaks... We must be honest with ourselves. At that moment, everyone there comes to a place where they must examine their own hearts. The woman accused of adultery must search hers. But so must those who hold the evidence of Scripture in their hearts and minds. They look at Jesus who again stoops down in verse 8 and once again begins writing in the dust. He does not stand there with condemning eyes. His word was powerful enough to accomplish that by itself. Amen? Everyone present began to understand what Jesus had told another Pharisee named Nicodemus in private. I quote to you John 3.17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 9 reveals to us that beginning with the oldest, perhaps the leader and most zealous of the bunch, they one by one begin to drop their stones and quietly walk away until no one was left. Because when Jesus speaks, you have to be honest with yourself. Lastly, when Jesus speaks, we must decide. Look again with me in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 8. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now I think it's important for us to realize Christ never excused the woman for her sin, nor did he deny the word of God. Can I get an amen? 
And we need to see that her response was both calm and respectful. She didn't plead her innocence, nor did she plead for her life. She wasn't, in turn, pointing fingers at her accusers. She wasn't standing before Jesus and saying, yeah, but those people did this. And, and I'm, I, they are just as worthy as condemning. They're condemning me. They're worthy of condemning because I could point out things about them. She didn't do that. She had met a man who with very few words revealed a compassion that drew her to her Savior. The scribes and Pharisees were quick to condemn the woman, although they were sinners themselves. But the sinless Christ was the only one present who could have cast a stone. Yet he chose to never pick one up in the first place. In fact, he would choose to take her sin to the cross. He chose to forgive The Pharisees brought the woman in as a captive. Christ questioned her as a free woman. The Pharisees regarded her as an accessory to their convenience. Christ respected her as a human being. The Pharisees could only see the blackness of her past, the very act. Christ thought in terms of her future, go and sin no more. The Pharisees were eager to stone her. Christ was ready to save her. Now let me close by saying this. First of all, to every person that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. What are we hoping to accomplish when we choose to throw stones? We can take a strong stand against sin, and we should, but what exactly is our end goal when we do so? It's too little of us for someone to say that we were right and they were wrong. If they're unsaved, do we actually believe that our condemning attempt to destroy who they are will drive them toward repentance? We must be mindful that we're called to a ministry of reconciliation, not a ministry of condemnation. I give you 2 Corinthians 5.18 that says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. The goal should always be for us to get to Jesus, and for us to help others get to Jesus. Not for us to just stand still and for people to say, he's right and they're wrong. Or maybe they're believers who have fallen because of their mistakes. Do we actually think that our stone throwing will bring them home? Paul wrote in Galatians 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken by a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, 
considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now, this week, I had a young lady set up an appointment with me in my office. I was not expecting to hear what I heard. It was a young lady who, in a moment of loneliness, in a moment of trying to have some sense of relationship, began to date an individual, and all the signs were pointing to the fact that they didn't belong with that individual. And in a moment of temptation, things went too far. And that individual has discovered that she is pregnant. Now, one only knows what your mind goes through when you find out such a thing. How do I tell people? What was done in private is certainly now going to be known publicly. How has that ruined my testimony? What will my mom and my dad think? What will people in the church think? She was offered no support by the gentleman involved. He had no desire whatsoever for a continued relationship. And even with an anger in his voice, wanted only one solution. And that was an abortion. And with fear of what you would think and what you might say and what others may think and what others may say, such a decision was given considerable thought. To the point that she was driving to Tennessee to meet this guy. And together they would go and have that done. But she knows who she is. And she knows who she belongs to. And the Spirit of God would not allow her to make that decision. She pulled off to the side of the road and she made a phone call. That was not well received. And with emotion and heartache and a fear of an unknown. 
she chose life. And she met with me and said, Pastor Ricky, I want to get out in front of this thing. And I want to know how to best deal with it. And with tears streaming down my face, sensing her heart, her spirit, that guy has already moved on and got a relationship with somebody else. I would like to meet him. She's left to deal with it. She's now 19 weeks going to have a little boy. And it's about time that you're going to start noticing. And so I told her, we're going to deal with it together. You're not going to make a Facebook post for people to think what they want to think. You're going to have me stand right beside you and tell people. Whitney, you and your mom and dad, come up here, please. This is the face. Their family's been through a lot in recent months. And sometimes when you go through a lot, you make choices that you wouldn't normally make. Choices that you know is not the right thing. You know better. But sometimes when you're under a lot of stress and you get caught up in life, we do some things that we know we shouldn't have. And I will stand before you and tell you that, and I've told her this, you know, Whitney, if you wanted to continue down this life, if you want to continue down that road and still be involved in some type of sin, I said, I can't stand with you. I said, but we're not judged by our failures. We're judged by the character with which we handle our failures. And she is doing things the right way. And I'm proud of her for doing it. And I'm standing with her. And so is her family. She's not going to walk down this path by herself. Amen. Let's pray together, and then we'll go into an invitation. Father, 